Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Well, I got something good for you today. I'm, I'm pumped up about this message. I tried to think of something that would be really, really inspiring, get you excited, uh, motivated, but that didn't work. And uh, I, I, I came up with something. I feel like the Lord shared something with me that is really practical. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is not going to go viral. Uh, this is not one of those messages that people are just like, oh, you have to see this. This is not something you guys are going to be Instagramming about and tweeting about, oh, my pastor saw me. It's just not. It's just the kind of message, though, uh, it's not, maybe not be what we want, but it's, it's really what we need. And, and I feel compelled as a pastor uh, to preach things that we need. Sometimes those things come out. They're the same. What we want, what we need happens to be the same thing. It may not be today, but this is what the Lord has told me to share. And I feel like it could really set up a lot of us free and give us the proper perspective going into 2020. Uh, so turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. I'm going to put that up there on the screen. If you're still looking for it in your Bible or on your phone, you can glance up as I'm reading it. And it says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So real quick, for we must, in this scripture, Paul is talking to Christians. Okay, so let me get some crowd participation. Raise your hand if you're a Christian today. Okay, so, so he says, for we must what? I'm going to use the preacher phrase here. For we must what? Anytime a preacher sees the word all, he makes everyone say it. Just letting you know, right? For we must what? Appear before the judgment seat of Christ. What is the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat of Christ is a place that Christians will go at the end of our lives. This is a biblical, theologically sound doctrine. It is a place that every single one of us will go personally by ourselves to stand before God that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or what? Or evil. So the reason this could be confusing is if you don't understand it, you go, I thought if I was saved that I don't have to be judged for my sins. That's actually true. The judgment seat of Christ is not being judged for your sins, if you're a Christian, you go here. This is about your works. This is about whether what you have done in this life has been fruitful or not. And God rewarding you eternally according to the fruitfulness of what you've done with what he has given you. Now, there is a different judgment called the great white throne judgment that is a judgment for sin. You do not want to be at that judgment. Because that means that people that did not have Christ and God sees their sins, God will not see our sin because the blood of Jesus will cover our sin. Can I get an amen from someone? That sin has been removed from us because of the blood of Jesus. But at the great white throne judgment, people are going to be separated from God for eternity. They'll spend an eternity away from God in hell, a place that Jesus preached about frequently. And that is a biblical principle. 
That's different for us today. And I'm preaching to you if you're here in this room and you're investigating Christ or you do not. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, don't wait till the end of the message today. If you're here going, man, I don't want to be in that first thing. I want, I want, to, I want to be with God forever. Well, I, mean, I encourage you today, open your heart up to the truth of who Jesus wants to be in your life. He loves you. He cares for you. He came to this earth. The message of Christmas is God becoming a, a man in, a, in human form and, and eventually going to the cross and dying for your sins. That's what this is all about. So become, become a Christian. I hear a bird. Okay, so become a Christian. I don't know what's going on. My, my brain is going wacky here. Um, become a Christian today. And, and this message is, is once you become a Christian, you're going to be at this place called the great white, or called the judgment seat of Christ, where you will actually have to give an account for every decision that you have made in your life personally. You are responsible at the judgment seat of Christ for every choice you've made. The Bible says you'll give an account for every single word you've said. If you cuss somebody out, if you rolled your eyes at somebody, every single little thing that you think no one has caught, you're going to have to give an explanation of to God someday. That's what the scripture is about. Pastor Jeff, I wanted to be inspired. I'm sorry. This is what this is about today. So this message is called blank. Take the wheel. Okay, so I want you, when I count to three, to say your name out loud. Here we go. One, two, three, Jeffrey. Okay, so the name of this message is your name, take the wheel. Okay, so for me, if I'm writing it down, it's Jeffrey, take the, the wheel. So for you, if you're writing it down, it's going to be your name, take the wheel. Father, thank you for your goodness and your presence here today. I pray for every person that's in this room as we are coming to the end of 2019. Uh, Lord, coming into a year, 2020. For those of us that were born in the 20th century, that sound of the year 2020 just sounded like Star Wars or something, God. But here we are uh, in a year uh, that we just couldn't even imagine getting to, but yet you're still God and you're still good and you still want to do wonderful things in our city and in our lives personally, in our families. And Lord, we give ourselves to you today, just asking that this word would a hold of our hearts today and that we would be able to honor you uh, moving into this new season with so much faith to believe for the miraculous in our life that you can change any circumstances, that there are no lost causes. We thank you for what you're going to do in our church and our families in 2020. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so I'd like to ask you, what do you think of, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the word government? Well, no, don't say it. Don't say it out loud. I forgot to say, don't say it out loud. I don't want you making enemies here in church. Uh, when you think of the word government, uh, what are the images that come into your head? What are the names that come to your head? What, what, are the, what are the ideas that come into your head when you think of the word government? And the reason I'm asking you that is I want you to remember at the end of this message what you thought today when you heard the word government, and maybe right now, and what you think when you leave today. Hopefully those two things will be a little bit different. Because when you trace the word government, I think many of us have some of the same imagery that comes into our mind, or the same thoughts that come into our mind when we think of the word government. But the word govern is derived from the Greek word kaberna. And the Greek word kaberna means to pilot or to steer, to navigate, 
or to guide. That is the original meaning of the word govern. Now, have any of you ever heard of the prestigious fraternity that's called Phi Beta Kappa? You ever heard of that before, Phi Beta Kappa? Now, Phi Beta Kappa is, a lot of famous people have come out of that, a lot of influential people. They're known for their grades and uh, just, just being, you know, high academic standing, social standing. Well, Phi Beta Kappa are the first Greek letters of the words philosophia, bayou, and Kubernetes. Kubernetes, that K, philosophy, bayou, Kubernetes. That word Kubernetes is derived from the word I just said, kuberna, which means to pilot, to steer, or to be in control of. And the phrase, philosophia, bio, Kubernetes, means this. The love of wisdom is the pilot of life. The love of wisdom is the pilot of life. Or, to shrink it down even further, wisdom is to govern one's life. So you can hear in there that word, govern, in the Greek form that talks about piloting. Now, when we think, bless you, when we think of most modern definitions of government, I know the thoughts that come into our head. Uh, Things like institutions. We think about how is this institution being governed? Or we think of uh, a country. Uh, We think of uh, an organization. And sometimes we even think about specific forms of leadership or specific leaders in general. And the problem with this, and the reason that I asked you this question to start with, what do you think of when you think of government, is that the problem is if we only think of the word government in the way that we are being governed by someone else, it takes the emphasis off of the place where government actually matters the most. When you think of the word government, many different words might fly into your head. Maybe monarchy or aristocracy or or democracy or republic or, or totalitarian or dictatorship or even theocracy, where people use scripture as the way to govern a society. If you go against scripture, you get punished. But I'm going to tell you something today. The most important form of government in the entire world is not the kind of government that you happen to be living under. The most important form of government in the world is called self-government. Self-government. Because you can't control the kind of government of the country that you were born into. Some people are born into a country that is communist. They have no control whatsoever over the kind of government that is over their life. That's why it's important, if you're born into that kind of country, to have what is called self-government. Our scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be accountable for everything we have done in our lives, whether good or bad. It has nothing to do with what someone else did to us. It has nothing to do with the kinds of leaders that are over our lives, whether they are good or bad. When we stand before Christ, we have to give an account for what who did? What we have done. That's why the most important kind of government is not democracy, republic, monarchy. No, it's self-government. Genesis chapter 1 Everyone say self-government. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Here's why governing is important. Here's why steering and piloting your own life is important. 
Okay, I, 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 know, I know you want to be inspired. Maybe this is not inspiring you. Maybe it's just information, but maybe this information, if you apply it properly, can inspire you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Dominion, that means to rule. That means to govern. Let them have dominion over fish, over the sea, over birds of the air, and over cattle, cattle over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God said, I want to make Adam and Eve, I want to make mankind, and I want them to have the ability to govern and to rule over everything, to make decisions, to make choices, to pilot, to steer. God did not create a bunch of robots. He created moral free agents that are capable of making... Now listen, listen. Moral free agents that are capable of making decisions. Now look, remember the tree of knowledge of the knowledge of good and evil that he created? He said to us, do anything you want. Go anywhere you want. Rule over the animals. Make whatever decision you want. Just don't eat from this one tree. Well, how many people know we're not real good at just not doing that one thing we're not supposed to do? Do you know that? So what God said is you have no right to eat from this tree. You have no right whatsoever to eat from this tree. I, as God, am not giving you the right. I'm giving you the ability, but I'm not giving you the right. Okay, so for instance, my daughter Mia is on the front row. Mia, you do not have the right to eat any of the cinnamon rolls that I make for myself on, on Saturday morning. You have the ability, as you have shown in times past. <laughs> but you do not have the right unless I <laughs> give it to you. <laughs> She's giving me a bad look right now. I'm sorry. You, Jude is the one I have to worry about the most with the cinnamon rolls. I'll be honest with you. So, so do you understand the difference? Having the ability to do something as opposed to having the right to do something. So God says, you don't have the right to sin. You have the ability to sin. I'm giving you dominion. I'm, I'm making you a moral free agent. I'm making you personally responsible for your own actions. You can do what you would like to do, but I'm, I, you're going to be responsible for the wrong choices because I'm, I'm not making you a robot. I'm making you a moral free agent. Now, here as Christians, it's important for us to know what this means for us. That we must stand before God someday and be responsible and accountable for every action, every choice that we have made. That nobody gets away with anything. You may think, you're like, oh, well, no one saw that. No, that's not true. See, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, I talk about this in my book, Jesus First, Jesus Always. Uh, I think it's in some of the later chapters, like 8 or 9 where I talk about touch the icon, and I use this as the text scripture, Romans 8, 29. Verse 28, we read this part a lot. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Then it goes on in verse 29. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Ugh, that's, that's that twisted around and moved around and reshaped 
He predestined for us to be conformed to the image of his son, the icon of Jesus, to be someone that is conformed and shaped to look just like Jesus. That's our destiny. Our destiny is to look like Jesus. So as these moral free agents who have the ability to make choices, the ability to do sin, not the right to do sin, it is our responsibility, our personal responsibility as self-governors, people that have the choice to do right and wrong, but we must pilot our own life. We must steer our own life in accordance with the Holy Spirit, in accordance with what God has laid out for us in his word. We must steer our own life. But what I'm afraid of is I'm afraid we live in a world where everyone wants to blame someone else for their own issues. Everyone wants to blame someone else for their actions. Look what you, even Taylor Swift, look what you made me do. <laughs> look what you made me do. Look at someone next to you say, I didn't make you do anything. Come on, look at him. You got to smile at him and say, you did that. You did that. Stop saying it. I only wanted you to say it once. I get to repeat it as many times as I want. I know you're enjoying that. But you're the one that did it. Our destiny is to look like Jesus. And if we are not piloting our life correctly, if we are not steering our life, governing our life, directing our life in the proper way, that's why Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. If you continue steering and guiding your life in the path, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you continue in the way of Christ, are you following me? You're going to look more like Jesus every day. You're going to be conformed and transformed into his image more and more every day. Then when you stand before God and you have to be accountable for your actions, you're going to go, every day I tried to look more and more like Christ. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> Second Corinthians 3, 17 and 18 says, now the Lord is, spirit, is the spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are not in bondage. God does not make us do what He wants us to do. He leads us to do what He wants us to do. He sets us on the path. He empowers us to live a God kind of life. But we must make a choice every single day to live that life. We must make a choice every day to execute the kindness, the godliness, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the goodness, meekness, temperance, self-control. All those things that are godly, we must choose to allow them to be seen and activated in our life. Can I get an amen from three people today? He's not going to force us. And in the same way, he is not going to prevent us from doing things that we shouldn't do in a literal sense. Most of the time, now I've heard people say, well, I tried to run, but God wouldn't let me go. I understand that. I know what you mean by that. I understand the principle that God's grace is so beautiful and abundant in our lives that sometimes he puts these hedges around us that we try to do stupid things and we just run into people. They're like, what are you doing? 
And it's kind of a reminder. We go, okay, yeah, I'm stupid. But we even go past that hedge. And we go to the next one. And we go, yeah, but I want to do it. And then there's another thing. And God will help us. I understand that. But there's a big difference in God sending people to remind us and us about to walk in a door and a gigantic hand coming down from heaven and going, nope, get back in your car. Uh, that's not the way it works. God doesn't physically prevent you from doing that. That's not the point. I mean, it would be a lot easier if he did, but that's not what being a moral free agent is. He created us and gave us dominion, the ability to make choices, not the right to make poor choices, but the ability to make poor choices because he knew that we had to be accountable for our own actions. See, in the sovereignty of God, we will be transformed and conformed into the image of Christ from now to eternity, through him and him alone in, in some respects. But in this life, how much we look like Christ in this life has to do with our cooperation with God. The, what do they call that when Jesus empowered his disciples? The great what? The great commission, the great co-mission that we are partnering with God. We're on a co-mission with God. Can I get an amen from someone today? A co-mission. We must partner with God. Our cooperation with God in this life is, is necessary in order that we look more like Jesus every day with our lives, which is the goal of our lives. That's what my book is about. Jesus first, Jesus always. It's about every day. If I get up and I go today, my goal is to look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. And if you do that every day for the rest of your life, you're going to fulfill your destiny. And you're going to realize your destiny is much greater than your occupation. Your destiny is much greater than your income bracket. Your destiny is much greater than who you marry or where you live or what your title is. Your destiny is to look more and more like Jesus every single day. That when you do that and you fulfill that, you're successful. No matter how much money you have. You may have zero dollars in your bank account, but if you're looking like Jesus, you are a success in life. That's what success looks like according to God is to look like Jesus. See, Adam and Eve had dominion, but they were responsible for their actions. I want to point something out here. I want to point out a story from Genesis 4 where Cain and Abel, Cain sees Abel giving God a first fruits offering. He takes the best of what he has, the best of what he has, and he honors God with it. And Cain gets jealous because he's, he's stingy. He just doesn't want to give God something that's valuable. He wants to give him sort of this little side offering. And the Lord says to Cain, before he does anything wrong, he says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching. Listen to this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Somebody say, I rule. Look at someone next to you and go, I rule. Yeah, you better rule. You better rule over sin in your life because it is crouching sin that God told Cain. He said, choose what's right because sin is crouching at your door. Sin is desiring 
to take the dominion that I have given you. I have called you to rule over things, over sin, to rule and have dominion over this earth. But there are things in this world that want to rule over you. Sin wants to rule over you and you got to put sin where it belongs. That's under your feet. That's under the name of Jesus, under the blood of Jesus. you got to take back the authority that God has given to you and you got to govern your own life, Cain. Be careful, Cain. you got two choices that are there before you every single day. Which one are you going to choose? Deuteronomy, you better govern. You better govern your own life and stop blaming it. Oh, but my, but my boyfriend, he just, he knows that I just, I'm, I'm, I'm real, I'm real sensitive and I, I get real weak when he starts buying me things and, and saying all that sweet stuff. And that's his fault. No, girl, that's your fault. You should have woke up and read your Bible that day and declared that you're good enough and you're worthy enough and God loves you enough and you're highly favored enough that you ain't got to do what a man tells you to do when you're living the way God wants you to live. Oh, man, you ain't off the hook. Well, you think I'm going to leave you alone? Well, she's the one who, who knew she did, had that outfit on. She know I can't handle it when she... No, you just don't... You ain't got no self-control, sir. You need to learn how to wake up every day and declare that you're a man of God no matter what somebody looks like. You're going to walk the way that God has called you to walk no matter how somebody looks. That's on you. That ain't on somebody else. We live in a culture that wants to blame everybody else for our problems. That is on you and you alone. What, the, what, this, what God told Cain is be careful. you got choices that are all, all around you. you got sin crouching. I don't know what you think of when you think of crouching, but I think of them National Geographic shows. You know them lions? They're getting them weeds. That little antelope. <laughs> He's just having a great day. You know the one I'm talking about? He's bouncing all over the place. He, look, he even looks like he's smiling too. That joker. He down in the weeds, what's he doing? He's crouching. And, and what God is telling Cain is, you better be careful if you're bouncing around. <laughs> I make you laugh after all these years. That's probably, that's good. That's why I love you so much. You better be careful though, seriously. You better be careful if, if you're just bouncing around and you forget that sin is crouching, it wants to destroy you. It's not, it's not funny. It's not funny. Deuteronomy 30. It's so clear. I have a little more time in this service. I, I didn't get to this in the last one, but he says, look, I've, I've set before you today life and prosperity. Here it is, life and prosperity or death and destruction. What imbecile? What imbecile with those two choices, life and prosperity Death and destruction. Duh, I'll take that to the dead <laughs> What? But, but you know what? I'm the imbecile. Because when I make a choice that I know is contrary to what God has called me to do, I go, I'll take death and destruction. <laughs> That's what I do. I literally do that. That's what we do when we choose sin in our life. Instead of choosing life and prosperity, we're asking for death and destruction in our life. And he says, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience, keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Keep sin under your feet. Keep ruling over sin in your life. Then you will live and increase. And the Lord will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your hearts turn away and you're not obedient, and if you're drawn away, 
and bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare you will be destroyed. You will not live long. Literally, sin decreases your lifespan. That's what it says right here. You will not live long in the land you're crossing Jordan to enter and to possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. I'll take death. Blessings and curses. A hefty dose of curses, please. Now, now, as if we're not, as if we shouldn't be able to choose, he goes, now choose life. He knows we're so dumb, he has to tell us which one to choose. <laughs> choose life. Look at someone next to you and yell at him and say, choose life. <laughs> so that you and your children may live. And that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice, hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years. In the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Along with our education of biblical principles, we must add a willingness to govern ourselves. Governing involves issues of steering and controlling, of guiding and managing. Self-government is all about that. It's good for us to understand You know, Galatians 5 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These things are contrary to one another so that you can't do the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. I understand what this is talking about is just saying, hey, there's this war going on every single day. I've got to govern my own life. I've got to control my own life. Look, Jesus take the wheel. That's a great song. That's fine. I mean, I understand. It's like about a girl. It's on Christmas Eve. She's driving with her baby in the back seat. She hits like an ice patch or something. Her car starts spinning in circles. She can't control it anyway. So she's like, Jesus take the wheel. I mean, that's what she says. She's like, I'm letting go. It's out of my hands. There are definitely Jesus take the wheel moments in our life where According to the principle of the song, it means you've reached a point in your life where you can exert no influence whatsoever over your destiny. And at that moment of your life, there's really no other option other than saying, Jesus, take the will. But I got news for you today. If you get in your car and you go get on the turnpike that you pay for to use, by the way. So you pay to sit in traffic every single day. And you start driving down the turnpike at 70 miles an hour and you ain't got no automated control on your car and you just go, Jesus, take the wheel. You're going to die. No, Jeff, take the wheel. Jeff, take the wheel. Because there are moments in our life that God says, you take the wheel. I have told you the way that I want you to go. I have given you the rules. I have given you the principles. Keep your hands at 10 and 2. Adjust your side view mirrors. Look over your shoulder if you're about to back up. Make sure there's no one in your blind spot. Follow the GPS, the course that I have mapped out for you. You take the wheel and you drive carefully. I'm going to be with you. But we have this Jesus take the wheel mentality. Well, we have no control over what's happening to us and it's everybody else's fault. Man, we stand before God someday to give an account for our own lives. We have to explain. 
why we were, and, and look, here's the part today that's tough, is when you get into some of the emotional aspects of why it's so easy for us to blame people. That's the hard part. That's the part as your friend and as your pastor that my heart breaks with you because I've been there too. I've been in those moments of failure. I've been in those moments where people lied or people hurt me or people said things that just were just ripped me apart or did something to me where I felt betrayed, where I felt abandoned. And it caused me to want to blame and to want to live my life with some system, sense of vindication, to point out that it's everybody else's fault and oh, poor me, poor me, look what I've been through. That's the hard part. But I, I, I wanna tell you something, it's, gonna kind of, it's kind of hard to say this in the same way that sometimes when I'm loving my kids and I'm teaching them about life, it's just really hard to get certain sentences out because I know they're not gonna understand it right now, but they will someday. But you are accountable to God for how angry you get in life. You are accountable to God for how addictive your own personality is. You are accountable to God for how much sadness you allow to rule in your life. Why? You have the ability to let sadness rule your life, but you don't have the right. You have the ability to let addiction rule your life, but you don't have the right. You have the ability to let blame run your life, but you don't have the right. Okay, this is the hard part. See, this doesn't mean that things are your fault. There are things that have happened to people in this room. Oh, it's not your fault. Believe me, it's someone else's fault in terms of what they did and what happened to you. But here's the part where we have to learn how to trust a sovereign God, where we say, so what, so what happened to me was not my fault, but I have to stand before God and be accountable for the way I responded to what happened in my own life. I have to trust God that he is a God of justice. He will deal with who did it and he will deal with it in his sovereignty fairly. See, it's not my job. I don't have to go around demanding justice for something that someone else did. If we believe in a God of justice, and if, by the way, if you believe in God, period, philosophically, you can't, there's no way that you can ultimately get to a place where you don't believe he's a God of justice. I know that's a longer conversation, but I promise you it's true. So if we believe in a God of justice, we have to trust that he is gonna deal with the justice part. And we have to then move to a place to say where we live in a painful, hurtful, broken world. And can I tell you something today? We're allowed to be sad. We're allowed to be disappointed. We're allowed to be hurt. We're actually even allowed to land in an ocean of failure at times. But as Christians, we're not allowed to stay there. We're not allowed to stay there, why? We have a higher ceiling. We have a higher calling in our life. We are supposed to have what the Bible calls an excellent spirit. As a matter of fact, you do have an excellent spirit today. Somebody say, I have an excellent spirit. Come on, look at someone next to you and say, you have an excellent spirit.
Oh man, scripture that kills me every time I read it. Honestly, it's one of those ones I get a lump in my throat every time I read it because I've been there. Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit. It's literally, what that means is that when you're spending your life blaming everyone else for everything that goes on in your life, for your anger, for your pain, for your addictions, for your sinfulness, your proclivity to just do this and to do that, to medicate yourself with this and that. Look, I'm not saying that we don't need to have conversations. This is why the church is so important. We have to work out our pain together. This is why even clinical psychology and counseling is really important that we go to people and are able to talk to people on a personal level on how to deal with some of the emotional baggage that we have, spiritual baggage that we have. We have to have pastors and leaders that we're able to communicate with to get those feelings out. But once those feelings are out, and once we're able to get them out, we have to realize it's still our responsibility to deal with the aftermath. But a person who can't rule his own spirit, it's literally the picture, the, the mental picture is a city that has no walls. What does it mean? It means robbers, looters can come in anytime they want into your life and just steal whatever they like. You got no protection. Why? Because you can't rule your own spirit. You're living that Taylor Swift life. Look what you made me do. Everything's look what you made me do. You can't even rule your own spirit. But today, I, I just look at what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, in order for me not to be conceited, God gave me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I asked him to take it away three times. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. What is it? I don't know. Some perversion, some, I don't know, some physical deformity or some proclivity towards sin that kept tempting him over and over. He wanted it to go away. I don't know. I'm not trying to say what it is. I'm just saying, I don't know exactly what it is. Neither does anyone else. But what Paul is saying is I was given something that tormented me. I thought the answer was asking. Whew. I thought the answer was asking for it to go away. But what Jesus actually said to me is that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, hardship, persecutions, difficulties, for when I am weak, he is strong. Come on, somebody needs to give God a praise this morning on a Sunday morning, last Sunday morning of 2019. He is strong enough to compensate for our weaknesses. What we cannot overcome, that sin that is crouching, he's saying rule over your own life. I have given you authority. I have given you dominion. I have empowered you with the person of the Holy Spirit. I have not only made you a conqueror, I have made you more than a conqueror through him that loved us. Now rule over.
over your anger. Rule over your addiction. Rule over your sin. Rule over your problems. Self-govern your life with the help of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that nothing is impossible for you. Somebody say, I have an excellent spirit. You have an excellent spirit today. I'm talking to everyone in this room. You have an excellent spirit today. You don't have some broken down spirit that can't be fixed. No, you've got a spirit that's been redeemed and empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit today to do good things for Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody give him a praise today. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.